Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Always appreciate it. Thanks to Jesse Allen for sitting in for me yesterday. Coming up on our program today, we're going to take a look at uh, this uh, late summer weather pattern. I always call it kind of the nervous time as we get so close to harvest. There have already been some uh, storms in places causing some crop damage. We'll talk with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Also, we'll talk markets with DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman. And the Biden administration's EPA has submitted those uh, biofuels proposals for levels, RVO levels. And the biodiesel industry and the ethanol industries. They're not happy with them as they're for lower levels this year. We will talk about that with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. All that coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with some dairy news. The Ag Department is um, putting $400 million into the distribution of surplus dairy products to needy families and also boosting payments to dairy farmers under the Dairy Margin Coverage Program. Here to talk about that is Paul Bleiberg. Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, thanks for joining us. Let's start on the uh, dairy donation program part of this. Tell us about the significance of this and how it will work. Sure, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Uh, We're very excited about the dairy donation program. It's really the culmination of a long period of work we've done at National Milk. First with the Congress last year in the process of getting this legislation enacted, it was something that Senate Ag Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow really championed and got into law. And uh, now we've been working with USDA for the last several months on implementation. And so we're very excited to see it rolled out this week. And we think it's going to be a very important program from the standpoint of minimizing food waste, combating food insecurity, and increasing dairy consumption. What the program will do in a nutshell with the $400 million in dedicated funding that it has is it will facilitate partnerships, either new ones or existing ones, between dairy organizations, and those could be farmers, co-ops, processors, whatever, and food banks and other distributors to move a whole variety of dairy products uh, to those who need them most. Yeah, so working with, uh, say, like Feeding America, right, this really expands uh, that effort to get more dairy to needy people across the country. Exactly, and it builds on a program that was created in the 2018 Farm Bill that Senator Stabenow had authored at the time when she was the committee ranking member, and that program was a smaller targeted program that dealt with milk donation only, just fluid milk. And it was modeled off of some of the donations that had gone on in Michigan and that Michigan Milk and our membership was very active in. Uh, this program is significantly scaled up from that in that it will cover, not just it will cover all dairy products, but it will be a much more robust reimbursement. It's going to reimburse for the full value uh, of the raw milk made, needed to make the dairy product, which is something that the congressional statute directed. But uh, it's also going to reimburse for manufacturing costs and transportation costs. And this is something we worked on very closely with USDA to make sure that we had a reimbursement that was going to work and to kind of put away, you know, combat some of the disincentives that sometimes exist here. And so we were very pleased with uh, what got rolled out. So you get uh, nutritious dairy products to needy people and you help move dairy products, which is good for the dairy industry. Exactly. And I think this is something we hope to add funding to in the future, right? It gets $400 million in one-time funding now, and so the program will be rolled out. Donations will be eligible retroactive to the start of last year, actually. And so we'll see how that funding uh, ends up going out. But we think the model in this program is really good and something we're going to look forward to continuing to work on in the future. Okay, so USDA will also, next month, increase the feed cost factor used to calculate the size of monthly payments under the Dairy Margin Coverage Program. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Now, this is something, uh, this is really the culmination of an effort we've been engaged in over a period of time as well. The last Farm Bill included a directive to USDA to start reporting, you know, dairy quality premium alfalfa because we felt that the feed cost formula and the dairy margin coverage, the hay price point was the average of all hay in the United States and didn't really reflect the cost that dairy farmers actually pay for their alfalfa because they tend to feed cows higher quality hay. And so that provision was a really good start. The previous USDA started the process on implementing this into the feed cost formula. They did a 50% blend where they folded it in 50% premium, 50% average, and now 
Secretary Vilsack is taking the full final step there and making it a 100 percent, uh, you know, incorporation of the premium cost. And that could be very helpful. House Ag Ranking Member Thompson pointed this out in his own comments. This is going to be great for not just the near term in terms of additional payments to producers, but it adds $800 million, I think USDA pointed out, to the, uh, to the dairy baseline going into the next farm bill. And as you know from the previous farm bill, when it comes to dairy policy or really any commodity, if you have an opportunity to add to your baseline, it's, a, it's always very helpful for the chance to make further reforms. Yeah, baseline is a key on that. And uh, this change actually will be retroactive to last year, right? Exactly, yes. So producers that were enrolled in DMC last year, as well as those that are enrolled this year, uh, will be able to get the, the payments here that make up that difference. So two significant announcements for the dairy industry from USDA. Paul, also we look the next week, I believe the House comes back and we'll, we'll start uh, watching that infrastructure bill again. Um, what are you hearing on that? Sure. So it looks like over the next several weeks, the House committees are going to begin putting together, in consultation with their Senate counterparts, obviously, the uh, the different components of the sort of larger infrastructure package for which they passed the budget resolution to tee up uh, in the last week. Now, obviously, there's some opportunities and there's some challenges that this all poses for ag. I think the potential for investments in climate smart ag is a really good opportunity. It's something we've been vocal on and looking forward to. Uh, some of the tax proposals are quite concerning, obviously, on transfer tax and step-up basis and what could happen there. So we're going to continue engaging on all manner of this package over the coming weeks. And, you know, the timeline is quick right now as they're talking about moving things through committees in the next few weeks. But obviously that can all be subject to change as things continue. Yeah, still kind of waiting for a lot of the details on this, right? Exactly. What we've seen so far is kind of the high-level framework. The budget resolution that was passed by both chambers of Congress essentially puts a top-line number and gives broad direction to the different committees as far as how much money they have to save or spend or things like that. But the nuts and bolts are really going to be put in now in the coming weeks. Yeah. Uh, they talk a lot about the, the highlights, uh, the, the selling points, but the, some of the details are the points of concern. Then you got the whole budget resolution package at $3.5 trillion. That's another issue, too. Well, right. So that's the, the budget resolution is to tee up that large package. The Senate has passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, that the House is now sounding like they're going to move sometime in September before highway programs expire, which is important because September 30th is when the highway trust fund runs out and will need to be extended. So if the House were to pass that bipartisan infrastructure bill prior to that time, they would avoid any kind of a disruption in the trust fund there. And it sounds like that's what they're planning to do. All right, we'll be update. That's Paul Blyberg, Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. All right, up next, we take a look at weather trends as we're heading to heading into fall harvest. Already been some isolated uh, storms that have caused some crop damage. That's why I call this nervous time. You got for those with a crop in the field, you're just wanting to get it into the bin. You want to get those combines rolling before anything happens to it. We'll take a look at what patterns are developing as we head into harvest. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. During the show, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture We'll be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta Booth 441. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's Booth 441 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Decatur at the Farm Progress Show. 
Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Anyone can sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman place products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high-yield potential you need. Make the most of next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Late August, so close to starting Midwest harvest. Some areas getting some uh, much-needed rain, but other areas getting some uh, unwanted storms and causing some crop damage. Let's talk it over with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, that's why I call this nervous time. So close to harvest, and if you got that crop out there looking good, you can't wait, you know, prices are good, you want to get out there to it, but... You know, we were reminded last year, derecho was a uh, reminder, some storms this year, a reminder that uh, still got a ways to go and and uh, problems can still happen. And unfortunately, we have seen some of those happen. While people have been wanting rainfall, this is the downside that comes with rainfall sometimes as you get some severe activity and strong winds. Uh, parts of Illinois have seen some uh I think three days ago up in northeast Iowa, we saw some 60 to plus mile per hour winds. Uh, one of the ISU Extension folks uh, did some surveying, and there's some crop damage up there too. So it's it's unfortunately it's it's the bad that comes with the good. Getting some rainfall that we really needed for some of the uh, end of season, trying to finish out some crops here. But we also did see some some severe, and it looks like it, you know the pattern's going to stay more active. We're going to stay with storms going uh, for you know throughout possibly the next couple of weeks. And the, the the you know activity this time of year, tornadic activity tends to be very limited. Sometimes you can get hail. Wind tends to be the more common type of severe activity that you get with severe storms at this time of year. We've also had quite a bit of heat here at the end of August, uh, and we see these pop-up storms. So is that the pattern that's going to continue, or do you see it cooling down, starting to a big cool down, gradual cool down? What do you see heading into September? Well, at this point, it looks like we're going to stay relatively warm overall and, and fairly humid throughout much of the Midwest. Uh, so, you know, and that's part of why we've seen all these storms is, we have enough heat around, say, instability, uh, and, you know, unlike earlier part of this year where we have some fairly dry air, uh, we have the, the atmosphere has enough moisture now to work with. So that combination is helping to set off some of the severe activity. Uh, so temperatures are, are going to stay on the warm side, it looks like. 
8 to 14 day outlook from National Weather Service Climate Prediction Center finally does start to ease off and have some slightly cooler than average conditions coming by about the second week of September. And it looks like that second to third week of September, in addition to the, 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 the average cool down as we, you know, as we start to cool off into September, looks like we could have some, some periods that are a little cooler than average, especially up in the Northern Plains area. So gradually working in until we get to that point, looks like we're going to stay with some heat. Uh, so that adds to the storm issues. It also adds degree units helps push along this crop, whether that's good or bad. Uh, you know, if it, if, you know, in some cases, the additional heat is, is not so good because you're rushing things through through the uh, you know, phenological stages, but it is, is pushing the crop along towards the end of the season here. Yeah, we're starting to see that change happening pretty quickly now. Uh, so do you see more of, more of a uh, concentrated big fronts moving through with storms or more pop-up type storms? Well, you know, that we're still in a bit of that, uh, su- uh, you know, that, that summertime uh, type of activity. Um, if you want to use a big meteorological, like meteorological term, it's called mesoscale. It means that smaller scale, you know, below the, the sizes of states uh, tend to influence what's going on. And that those are things like you have thunderstorms that set off and a complex of thunderstorms sets out some cooler air and you get a you know kind of cooler air coming out away from that storm well that helps to set off thunderstorms in another area so that's still probably going to dominate uh for the next at least several days it looks like right now um because there's there's right now there's a a a stationary boundary over northern iowa that is kind of the focusing mechanism for uh, what we saw in northern iowa parts of minnesota uh and, and even areas further east now, there is one other complication that's going to come to this. We have to watch if people have been watching uh, the, the Gulf is starting to get more active and there's mm-hmm. concerns about a hurricane coming up for, for, for Louisiana. Uh, so outside my area, so I won't talk about that, but that is a concern. But what's going to happen is that hurricane is going to come up and, and could drop some precipitation on the eastern part of the Corn Belt. Right now, it looks like most of it's going to stay south of the Ohio River. Uh, but it's probably close to close to a week out, so that could change. We have to keep an eye on that. We have some areas in the eastern Corn Belt that can use some additional precipitation right now. If you watch the U.S. drought monitor, there was some D1 moderate drought added in the middle of, of Indiana because of the dryness going on there, and some other dry pockets definitely around. Uh, so they're not as bad as we saw in the northern plains, but they could use a little bit of rainfall too. Yeah, because that's an area that for most of the summer has been in really good shape on moisture, but now we're seeing some of those dry spots appear on the map. Right, definitely. And, uh, you know, some of my contacts in Ohio said, you know, the recent dryness has ended up with a situation where we're, uh, you know, the the double crop soybeans, they're looking a little bit rough in some places because, you know, the main crop was okay and there was enough moisture for them for the for the for the first crop, but it's been pretty dry for the second crop, so that part has been a little bit rougher. You are correct that the whole eastern part of the corn belt generally has been good. There've been dry pockets, but we you know, we, we have some, some issues we'd like to, to alleviate now. That really has been kind of the interesting thing about this year is the extremes we've gone through. That we've gone from you know, dry to wet in places and back to dry and gone back and forth a couple times. So it's kind of averaged out in the end, but we've had some streams, extremes that we tried to, to, to deal with along the way. Unfortunately, the Northern Plains has not been that lucky, though the recent rainfalls are starting to, to eat away at some of the drought areas up there. Those very dry areas that we've talked about all year, it's going to take a while for them to make it back, right? I mean, you, you don't get into a, a major drought overnight and you don't get out of one overnight. Right. And, and, and it, that, it's a really hard thing to quantify getting out of a drought because you don't get three inches of rainfall. Oh, we're done with drought. You know, that three inches of two or three inches of rainfall helps because it gives us some soil moisture recharge. Uh, it eases some of the fire issues. We've got some fire issues in some of the places up there. And it starts adding moisture back in the soil. But we also have problems with the livestock folks where they don't have enough surface water 
uh, for, for livestock. So that's been some of their issues in addition to feed issues. And it's going to take a lot more precipitation and probably some snowfalls, some heavier snowfalls to produce the runoff to fill ponds and dugouts. So we've got different levels of drought impacts that we have to work on. We can alleviate some of them, but you're right. The, you know, some of the worst ones, it's going to take a bit before we can, we can really say, hey, we're out of the, the main drought issues now. And, of course, the other challenge, to add insult to injury, I mean, you've, those folks that have had a drought all year struggling to get any kind of a crop, and then you get ready to go out and harvest what you do have out there, and then you may get some of those rains. And, and, and while you're happy for the rain, the timing doesn't always work as far as trying to get harvested what you do have to harvest. Right. Or in the cases where you, have, you know, maybe have a corn crop that's been somewhat damaged, you know, you, you get a you get some wind, then you knock it down, and it's not it's not a total loss, but then you're slowed down because you can't move through very quickly because the crop is tipped over. So, we hope that doesn't happen to too many people, but it is it is a possibility. We're talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Uh, Dennis, as we look ahead further into the fall, we start talking about frost dates and things like that. Seems like a long ways away now, but it'll be here before we know it. Uh, uh, are you seeing an earlier or later or about a normal when we come to those uh, frost dates? What are you seeing? Well, you know, if I knew that, I could go make a whole lot of money somewhere. <laughs> I, I did look. A, I did look a little bit this morning as to uh, you know when it looks like we could be getting some cold pushes. You know, I mentioned that we had a colder than average period coming, uh, you know, maybe towards the second third week of September. Uh, that's probably not going to be cold enough to cause problems the way it looks yet. You know, there's still some a chance for for that to shift. You know, the far northern plains, you know, border of Canada might be close to some frost freeze because that's not too that's not too early for them to start seeing frost or freeze issues. Um, and, and, you know, further south and in the main part of the Corn Belt, I, I really don't see uh, anything early at this point. And uh, we've talked about before, most of the crop progress, especially in northern areas, is at worst average and in many cases ahead of average. Really, the only place, uh, wider spread place, where things are a little behind average is the southern part of the Corn Belt. And I think we're well enough away from frost freeze down there. Yeah, late September sounds like a long ways away, but yet we notice that uh, we look at the calendar and see we'll turn that page to September next week. So it'll be here before we know it. Good to talk with you, Dennis. Thank you. You guys take care. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Up next, we talk markets with DTN's Todd Holtman here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. During the show, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta Booth 441. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's Booth 441 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Decatur at the Farm Progress Show. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. This week, grain futures have settled in more of a sideways trading pattern. Wheat markets were supported by the IGC's reduction in its 2021-2022 global wheat production estimate by 6 million tons to 782 million tons. The U.S. corn and bean markets both slipped lower yesterday. Influences came from both sides as corn and beans were supported by daily export sales notices, but pressured by widespread rains across much of the Corn Belt this week and increased Brazilian production 
production estimates for 2021-2022. On the Board of Trade this morning, September corn trading a penny higher at 5.53 and three quarters. The December contract trading three and a fraction lower at 5.47 and a half cent. For soybeans, the September contract trading 17 and a half cent lower at 13.50. The November contract down 11 and a fraction at 13.15 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat September down two and three quarters at 7.22 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat September up three quarters at 7.16 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat September up two and a half cent at 9.31. The December contract trading two cents higher at 9.13 and a half cent. Slaughter numbers so far this week are running significantly behind last week and last year. The issue seems not to be tighter cattle supply, but rather ongoing labor shortages, as well as mechanical breakdowns. In cash cattle country, asking prices are around $124 plus in the south and $205 plus in the north. Beef cutouts are expected to be higher with light to moderate box movement. Looking at those live cattle futures on the Board of Trade this morning, October up 10 cents at 129.70. The December contract trading two cents higher at 135.65. For feeder cattle, the September contract up 40 cents at 164.85. October up 50 at 168.80. In lean hogs, the October contract a dollar 40 higher at 89.30. The December contract a dollar five higher at 82.45. You're listening to AOA. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Just want to remind you that Next week, we'll be at the Farm Progress Show, Decatur, Illinois, next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I'll be broadcasting each day from the Syngenta tent. So uh, if you're going to be at the Farm Progress Show, stop by, watch us do the show, and look forward to talking with you at the Farm Progress Show next week, Decatur, Illinois. Um, Had word yesterday from USDA, Secretary Vilsack will not be able to attend the Farm Progress Show, it doesn't look like. But he may be calling in and joining us uh, one day next week, perhaps on Tuesday on the program. So um, we'll have a chance to talk with uh, perhaps Secretary Vilsack about some of the key ag issues um, of the day. So that may be one of the things that we'll be able to do next week at Farm Progress. Also, on Wednesday, we'll have the uh, leadership of the National Corn Growers Association, the American Soybean Association with us at Farm Progress. And, of course, we'll keep you updated each day on uh, how things are going at the show and, um, you know, how the field demos are going and things like that. So complete coverage of the Farm Progress Show next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, broadcasting from the Syngenta Tent. Hope you'll be able to join us. Uh, one of the things uh, we've been talking a lot about, watching closely, EPA has sent the annual blending targets to the White House for regulatory review. That starts the process that sets two years worth of uh, requirements for biofuels usage. Now keep in mind, we're talking about the 2021 levels and here we are end of August. This process can take up to 30 more days. So it could be September, into September before we get the 2021 numbers. And we, as we have heard from the biofuels industry, they are not happy with lower numbers being proposed for this year. We'll be keeping a close watch on that. A lot of concern about that. You know, it's just, it's frustrating for the biofuels industry at a time when 
The administration has set these climate goals they want to reach. They've expressed concerns about the high price at the pump, but yet they don't fully embrace and support the biofuels industry, which can help address both of those issues right now. Cleaner air and also a lower price at the pump. So we uh, continue to uh, watch that story, and we're going to get more on it a little bit later on from Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. Right now, though, we want to talk some markets with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Todd, thank you for joining us. Here we are so close to harvest, and I've been calling this the nervous time because we've seen some uh, spotty storms in, in Illinois and Iowa already causing some crop damage, and that, that shows it's not in the bin yet, right? Yes, you're right, and all rain is not created equal, as you point out. Uh, we've also got some flash flood watches in northeastern or southeastern Minnesota, northeastern Iowa, uh, and much of the areas in the in the northern Midwest. Boy, if we would have got that rain a few weeks ago, what a wonder it would have done. But uh, it's probably a little late at this point to to provide much help for that harvest. What do markets focus in on right now, this close to harvest? Is it the, the demand side, or, or are they still watching closely those weekly ratings numbers, or have they pretty well decided what's uh, going to be coming in? You know, I think overall there's not a lot of anxiety about the size of the harvest we're going to have. I, I think USDA's August estimate, even though it's early, uh, and all of that, I, I think it's probably not too far off the mark. Somewhere between there and uh, the crop tour numbers uh, are, are not going to make a huge difference in the totals that we're seeing. The, the market does have same anxiety about uh, the outside market situation that we've seen the past couple weeks, and mainly the, the coronavirus concerns in Asia, what that might do to China's demand and so forth. I think that's where the real nervousness of the market is going to be moving forward. Strength of the dollar, uh, Fed policy, that certainly will impact things. Yeah, and we had some encouraging comments, I think, again, from Jerome Powell this morning, uh, who uh, says that the economy is getting better uh, enough that they anticipate to start pulling back those bond purchases by the end of the year. But that doesn't mean that they're close to raising interest rates anytime soon. And he still sees inflation as a transitory problem. And overall, I tend to agree with him on that. And I'm glad that the Fed is not jumping the gun and raising interest rates too quickly. Mm -hmm. We're talking with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. So you feel the markets are comfortable with the crop size this year, that because the question we've asked all summer, would the good areas offset those bad areas? And, and evidently the market feels fairly comfortable we'll have enough crop. Uh, yes. Now, in the case of corn, yes. Uh, we're probably still looking around 15 billion bushels, I think, is the best guess. USDA said 14.75. I think you have to give a little more room for uh, how well the eastern corn belt looks. Um, overall, though, that that's not quite going to be enough to make up for the losses that we have in the Western Corn Belt. In the case of soybeans, it's going to be a very tight situation. I just don't see uh, any way around that. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for a crop somewhere around 4.4 billion bushels, which is a little higher than USDA's August estimate, but we could very easily have that much or 4.5 billion bushels of demand in the new season ahead. And uh, so I, I still see that as a very tight situation for soybeans. Yeah, I mean, to say comfortable with this year's crops is one thing. But, yeah, huge buys by China, uh, you know, that, that with tight stocks already, that, that starts changing the, the old balance sheet. Yeah, it does. And, and we saw what a difference that made uh, last year. Uh, you know, in August last year, USDA was still estimating a corn surplus of about 2.8 billion bushels. And, of course, it came down dramatically once uh, China started buying again. So far, I have to say, looking at the clues in China, uh, the corn prices come down fairly steadily. They're at their lowest levels of the year. It appears to me that perhaps they have had some success in rationing their corn demand. Maybe they won't uh, uh, import a billion bushels as USDA estimates, but they could still do uh, 800 or 850 million bushels, I think, fairly easily. For those that like to sell off the combine during harvest, uh, what do you think they're going to see price-wise happening this harvest? 
Well, I think the outlook is still fairly good. The, the December price of 550 is not bad to get started. I wouldn't sell the entire crop uh, at that price. I still think uh, time and demand are going to be on our side. And the only uh, scare or threat to that I see is this coronavirus situation. We just still don't have a good handle on it. We're not comfortable with uh, our, our ability to control and manage this virus yet. And that, that has to be seen as a, a possible bearish risk. It is still early, but it looks like they're going to start the planting season uh, in South America pretty much in, in dry conditions, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, they've had a little bit of rain in southern Brazil, but I emphasize little. I think they could use more on that account. In the Mato Grosso region, their their rain has not come to that area yet, uh, so they could very easily uh, be looking at a late planting start again uh, this fall, and uh, that, that seems to be how things are shaping up right now. Because we've talked about this before, there are more acres, but we you know, until they start getting some rain, you have to wonder, you know, how productive those acres would be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the prices are there. All the incentives are in place. Uh, they, they've got everything they need to uh, give them the willingness to plant more acres, but uh, it, weather is going to be the controlling factor there. Okay, so the acres, the looming acres battle in this country. Uh, when do we see markets start trying to buy those acres next year? Oh, boy, that's a really uh, good question, and especially, you know, the the extra bullish wrench that we have this year that we haven't seen in a long time uh, is the fact that our wheat supplies are now lower than normal and are commanding very good prices. When you see $7 uh, winter wheat prices, that's uh, very enticing. So uh, if, if wheat pulls off some of the corn and soybean totals, I mean, this is a very interesting situation. We, we have limited acres. We've lost about 9 million acres uh, of, of good crop ground uh, over the last seven years. And um, I don't expect those uh, to come back easily. So if, if wheat pulls a little bit from that corn and soybean total, it's going to be a very interesting mix this spring. It's always a fascinating uh, scenario how that plays out, but more so this year than than in recent years, right? Because of uh, uh, the strong prices across the board and some interesting decisions producers will be making. Now, a lot of farmers, of course, stick to their normal rotations, but uh, there'll be a lot of acres at play here, won't there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you're right, and they should stick to their normal rotations. But uh, again, uh, if, if they see that wheat price as more promising than what they might get and, and of course you know in those areas you, sometimes you have lower yield trade-offs so they're not necessarily thinking about 200 bu or 200 uh, bushel an acre corn uh, in some of those wheat areas and uh, so it, it, that seven dollar wheat starts to look very good that that could turn back our, our uh, corn and beet acres and uh, be a situation we have not seen in many many years yep you going to farm progress next week Yes, I am. I'll be speaking uh, Tuesday through Thursday, 10, 10 in the morning, 2 o'clock in the afternoon in our booth, and look forward to seeing everybody there. All right. Hope to see you there next week. Thanks, Todd. Thank you, Mike. Todd Holtman, Todd Holtman, excuse me, DTN lead analyst. And again, stop by and see him next week at the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois. All right, we're going to talk this biofuels issue and the EPA submitting their RBO levels and the biofuels industry not happy with them. We'll talk with Jarrett Renshaw, reporter for Reuters, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I 
first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high-yield potential you need. Make the most of next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois this year? Be sure to stop by the Syngenta booth to talk with local agronomists and product experts. Then visit the Syngenta Square to relax and enjoy a cold beverage. During the show, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture will be broadcasting live all three days from Syngenta booth 441. Stop by to watch the show live at 9 a.m. That's booth 441 at 9 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in Decatur at the Farm Progress Show. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
All right, the EPA has sent annual blending targets, finally, to the White House for regulatory review. That starts the process of setting two years of uh, biofuel usage requirements. Again, one of the years is this year, and it's almost over. And uh, a spokesman says the agency will continue to work with RFS stakeholders to get feedback about the proposal as they work to finalize the rule later this year. They're going to get a lot of feedback from the biofuels industry, I know. Not happy with the lowering of levels for this year. Let's talk about it with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. Jarrett, good to talk with you again. Kind of give us uh, what you're hearing from the administration about why they are going the direction they're going with these RVOs. Sure. Um, I, I, there's two things. One, I think there's a genuine concern about uh, the, the refineries and loss of jobs um, in certain parts of the country. And B, I think the, they have accepted the argument that there was a COVID impact to demand, and uh, they want that to be reflected in the RBOs, which is why I think they're going to go back to the 2020s, reopen that up, and lower those numbers. So it always amazes me, regardless of administrations, regardless of political parties, um, they're almost always late with these things. They never meet the deadlines that are set for getting them out. No doubt, Mike. And I think what they, they end up shooting themselves in the foot because it, it compounds issues. Now, you, instead of making a series of incremental decisions, you're making one decision on six different things. And I think... You know, making things more complicated and perhaps getting people more angry. Um, I, I just don't think, you know, I just don't think this is the, the best way to go um, from an industry standard or from a, a political standard. I've said this before. I, I find it ironic an administration like this one that wants to do almost everything opposite of what the Trump administration did, but they kind of seem to be following the same path on this, not only late with the announcement, but trying to find a way to almost appease both sides, biofuels and oil industry, and we know no one's been able to do that. Yeah, that, that is the, you know, it always comes back full circle, right? They, uh, they get caught in this trap. There's, there's literally no way you can appease both sides. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know of a way. And uh, they seem to be trying to thread the needle. And quite frankly, the refiners, if, if, if everything comes out as reported, are going to be, should be abundantly happy. Um, this is immediate relief. I think you'll see some of that wind price come down. Um, and, and this is another, you know, bad moment for the biofuels community in a series of, from the court decisions and, and, and several other things that happened. That this hasn't, hasn't been a good eight, eight, eight months to a year in terms of the biofuels and things coming out of DC. And then you have the uh, almost annual now submitting of legislation against the RFS by oil state uh, members of Congress, and then you have the supporting legislation introduced by the, uh, the biofuels-supporting members of Congress. So that, that almost seems to be a wash each year. It kind of balances each other out. Yeah, I, I think this year, though, Mike, what we have is this reconciliation bill is a variable that we haven't had in previous years. And, and I think we talked about this last time I was on the show, is that I do think these, some of these Democratic lawmakers are going to wield the power they have. Um, and I think you'll, I'd be surprised if there was not something in these reconciliation bills that the biofuel community uh, doesn't like or, or you know, doesn't, doesn't ask for. Um, I just find it hard. You know, there's too many of these Farm Belt lawmakers, a lot of Democrats, and uh, given them some of the blows they've been dealt over the last eight, eight months to a year, I, they seem to be in position, good position to get something out of it. Yeah, because there wasn't much in the infrastructure bill for the biofuels industry. No, there was not. And I, um, and I know there's, and I don't know the specifics, but I, I know out of ag, there's going to be some numbers coming out, um, some some uh, out of the COVID package. Um, so I think we're going to see some aid there, and I expect that announcement probably to be timed with some public unveiling of these RVOs. My guess is that the, the administration is going to try to link those two. So I think in the meanwhile, some, some relief coming. Yeah. In the meanwhile, of course, the focus right now is on Afghanistan. But when it comes back to some of these domestic issues, uh, 
I guess we're going to see the push again by the Biden administration for electric vehicles, aren't we? No doubt. I think you'll see. I think Jarrett's cell may have dropped on us. Yeah, he was. Uh, we were struggling to keep his cell connected, and I think he dropped out as he is moving around a bit. Uh, that's Jarrett Renshaw, Reuters reporter, and uh, Reuters one of the first to. Uh, one of the first to come out with that story that it looked like that the EPA would lower RVO levels for this year. And uh, again, the, they've submitted those uh, those levels now. So uh, we'll not try to reconnect with him. We're just about out of time. We know Jared's uh, busy and on the go, so we appreciate his perspective. He has covered the biofuels industry for a while, and, and then he's now on the political front, uh, the political scene for Reuters. Certainly that's a busy one right now as well so a lot going on there so we're going to wrap it up for today and again a reminder next week next tuesday wednesday and thursday we'll be in decatur illinois for the farm progress show and i'll be broadcasting from the syngenta tent we hope that uh, if you're going to be at the show that you'll stop by and see us looking forward to uh, seeing a lot of folks uh, we haven't seen for a while back at the farm progress show and hopefully the weather will cooperate. They have, as we told you this week with our preview show, things are looking good at the show site. It's amazing how much uh, has been done on the exhibit field, how much is already up. They're working hard to get all that done. The crops look good. So weather permitting, they should have a full three days of field demonstrations, which is such a big part of the Farm Progress Show. So many like to get out there and follow that equipment around in the field. And weather permitting, should be able to do that next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We'll keep you up to date on that. And again, hope to see you at the show if you're going to be there. Thanks for being with us today and for the week. Have a great and safe weekend, everyone. Look forward to talking with you again on Monday. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom, covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today.